Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. Well, it is finally here, election day in the United States. I even got us some fun uh, nonstop news theme music. So <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Again, still praying for my sound engineer, as I told you. So it's not gonna be too fancy, but you don't care about that because it, today is the day, right? We have been talking about this. Can you tell my excitement? I don't know if it's nervous excitement, if it's craziness, I don't know, but today is the day. So um, this is going to be in parts. This is part one. So I'm going to call this our pregame show, right? It's before the results. So we don't know much of anything unless we're going to go with the election results, which I'd love to, from Dixville Notch, North uh, New Hampshire. That was the very first town to vote and to post results. This is a tradition that has been going on in terms of it being reported uh, for over 50 years. And this time it was a sweep. That town has a population of 12 and five people voted. I'm assuming those are the five eligible voting adults. Um, and they were all white, men and women. And they voted five Oh, five zero in favor of Joe Biden. Now in their next town over, they voted 16-5 for uh, the current uh, occupant of the White House, President Trump. So we'll see what happens. I hope that it won't be volleyball all night because that is just going to fuel all of these suits going on around the country. Once again, you have uh, Republicans just uh, their attorneys poised by the computers, shooting motions and petitions in the federal court constantly. And I'm sure that Army is already prepared to do the same once there are, um, once there's some results coming from some places, certainly places like Texas, Arizona, and uh, and Pennsylvania, because those are not only some of the battleground states, but also places where there have been challenges mounted to various measures. But before we get into that stuff, before, 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 because we've got various um, things that are going to be discussed all night long as these results come in, I just want to give you a time check. It is 548 p.m. Eastern time. And so most of the things are really all the things I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about it, talking about them in terms of Eastern time, because that's where I am. I do have the times for the poll closures. We won't get the first big batch of states that, are, well, just the first big batch of closings and certainly in states that are the, um, that people are going to be paying super close attention to until about seven o'clock. Then you're going to get your first big chunk of states that are closing. There's about 10 states that are closing at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'm going to try and pull them up without <laughs> screwing up my notes. Okay, so we have, well, no, I'm sorry. We have about six. I guess I was thinking my own state, Virginia. So at 7 p.m. Eastern, we have 
Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, Vermont, and Virginia closing in at 7.30. So during that 7 o'clock hour, North Carolina, Ohio, and West Virginia are also closing. Now, as it relates to Indiana, at least 80 of their eastern counties, because Indiana is one of these states like Florida, where um, parts, well, there's several states, but uh, Indiana in particular comes up because part of their state is in the east, is, is in Eastern Standard Time. And instead of it pushing the, them pushing the time up, they are going to just leave it, which means that 80, uh, pre 80 counties there are closing at 6 p.m. So the news outlets, and that's part of the reason why I came on now, are already poised if they can get some numbers out of Indiana to start reporting on this in earnest. And that's why even though everybody's been doing 24-hour coverage, it really kicks into high gear at 6 o'clock when you start potentially getting some results. And then the rest of their counties are going to close at 7 p.m. along with that 7 p.m., that 7 o'clock hour group of uh, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, Vermont, Virginia, North Carolina, Ohio, and West Virginia. A huge group that closes at 8 p.m., but I will come on again to remind you of what those states are. But just a quick one, the ones that are the standouts here, well, New Jersey usually goes blue, but it stands out for me because I'm a Jersey girl, always has been, always will be. Um, will be. Pennsylvania, big time uh, battleground state, not to mention the fact that or, or to mention the fact that uh, President Trump basically threatened Tom Wolf yesterday, uh, their governor, by saying, we're watching you. So lots of challenges, just drama going on there in uh, Pennsylvania. I know three people personally, not one lives in Pennsylvania. One lives in D.C., one in Baltimore, and one in Virginia who were poll watchers in Pennsylvania. That is just an indication of how serious it is up there and that people are being sent up there. Florida, this is where things get a little hinky with Florida. That's always stuff that's talked about because of results coming out in half of the state or a good portion of the state uh, still voting. So the polls close at seven um, Eastern time for those outside of the panhandle. And you know, that panhandle is that sort of sliver right at the top that slides over to the West. But the part of it that is considered pretty much the Eastern seaboard and the parts of Florida that are generally uh big time in the conversation you know your places like miami and well all of dade county and uh just your heavily concentrated areas that is a part of uh that eastern time zone and they will close at eight so again we'll talk about that more as the evening goes on and i will be uh tweeting i'll be on instagram and of course uh on facebook in the fashion drama diaries as well if you want to join in but again you can always find me on let's be honest uh, jj on insta and uh, certainly on twitter which which is more interactive so you will um find me quite a bit more certainly on twitter in particular so 
let's get into again some of our pre-game stuff in terms of what's at stake because it's yes we know there's the presidential election but the new york times yesterday did a great article about uh the 12 important there's some other that are important but the 12 most important outcomes of today's election cycle this this all of the elections that are going on today of course most important being the presidency and it's funny because given that i'm calling this my pregame i almost feel like shouldn't there be a song i mean i don't want to do star spangled banner or anything i almost feel like I don't know. Should I do something my style? What would you sing when you're doing a pre a pregame on a podcast to an election uh, that is a little nuts? I don't know. I feel like I should be meet me on the moon. Please don't be late. But that would be Phyllis Hyman. She's singing to her lover. But I mean, some of us feel like if a certain candidate wins, maybe we should be going to the moon or having people meet me on the moon. I don't think Canada wants us. I don't know. So there you go. I started it with a song, one that's highly inappropriate and really doesn't mean anything at all. And you add to that, I'm hoarse. Uh, I keep mentioning my sound engineer, not just because he's great and does all my music, but by the way, he's also my son. So um, he would probably edit that out. <laughs> So you get to hear all of the foolishness that my son doesn't get to edit out because he's dealing with a concussion. So let's go over these 12 outcomes. I know I'm talking fast, but I just don't want to miss any of that first juicy stuff. And besides, you're going to get me back on live again as we get into part two and who knows, maybe three, four, five. Let's, let's hope it doesn't get that crazy. So the 12 most important outcomes, according to the New York Times, and I'm using this because I actually agree with this. So I'm going to give you the basics and then my commentary. Number one, the presidency. That goes without saying. Um, every election, people say, is the biggest one in, in history. I think that certainly in my history, in my lifespan, none of your business how old I am, although I'm fabulously not ashamed. Um, yes, very important. And it goes beyond just what issues are around right now. We've had tremendous issues in this country. We've had uh, elections during wartime and civil rights movement and all of that. But this is an important election because we are at a point where we have issues that one would think this country at this point of our history would be well beyond and we have taken a huge step backwards and you combine that with the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic and there are beyond huge questions about the leadership and its ability to uh, get us through that. I mean, we will survive it. The country will be here. The question is how many people won't be. Um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it's also huge just based on the interest in it. When you consider that nearly 100 million people already voted before this election began, 
two-thirds of the total number of people that voted in its entirety in 2016. That alone tells you about the importance that the American people have placed on, on this election. So second, Senate control. This is huge, and we know why, right? If you have a president who is in there and doesn't have the Senate, especially the Senate as it is currently composed, led by Mitch McConnell and his minions, he's cut off at the balls. It, it, is, it just is what it is. There is, given just the rabid nature of the way the division in this country right now as much as it would be great a la the separation of powers to have individuals um you know that that you wouldn't have everything be so homogenous if you have a um democrat or a republican president and you have you know the same party in um in the house and senate it would be nice that it would work, you know, with the checks and balances and all that. But unfortunately, in the current climate, it simply does not. We saw that with uh, with President Obama. It just became untenable. We have individuals right now that are in power that have made it clear time and time again that no matter how ridiculous they will not waver and uh, from their party lines, in which case, uh, you know, there's just a lot that won't get done. So there may be some further damage that won't be done, but there is a lot that it's, it's going to be a struggle to do anything. Um, even if the Senate is not if if you don't have the same party in the Senate as you do in the White House at least if the numbers are closer and you're only talking about having to get one or two people to switch sides to get things through that's not so bad but again this group has shown that even when the numbers are not bizarrely off and you only need maybe five or six it's hard to even do that. And now that you have a Supreme Court that is so severely lopsided, it, it is really going to be even more imperative that there is some parity between the executive and the legislative branch in order to make things happen because it is not going to be pretty if things are um, constantly going to the court. And even if they do to try to have some kind of balance where, um, where even if laws have to be changed to maneuver around some of that decision-making, it's, it's just, it's just difficult. I mean, I think that people just really don't understand that they kind of do, but I don't know if they really do the impact of these uh, Supreme Court nominees. All of the three individuals that were appointed are reasonably young. This is a job they have for life. They can retire if they choose to, but they do not have to. 
So there is a retirement age on there, but they don't have to. This is constitutionally allowable for life. So you have individuals that if like, let's say uh, Amy Coney Barrett, she is 48 years old. If she stays in reasonably good health, we're talking about someone who could be on the court affecting decision-making for at least another 30, 40 years. I mean, if she stays on there into her 80s like some of these other individuals, we could be looking at having her there for the next 40 years. And the decisions that they make survive well after that because it takes a case or some or a change in law to flip that. So it's huge. And not to mention the fact that the Senate, you know, there are several things that come before the Senate in terms of approvals for uh, for the other lesser courts. There's just a lot. So that Senate is important. State legislatures, um, the control of state legislatures are important. Uh, Well, to some degree, because of some of the things that I talk about at the federal level, but not so much. Governors most uh, tend to have a lot more power to maneuver. Um, but the other really big deal when it comes to state legislatures is that this was a census year and the state legislatures get very much involved in drawing districts, uh, you know, the congressional and Senate districts. So then there will be lots of concern about gerrymandering. You certainly get into a lot of racial issues and, and all of that when it Uh, comes down to districts being uh, drawn, maybe even the potential for additional congressional seats because the number of congressional seats a state has is based on their population. That also impacts their number of electoral votes because, again, that is based on population. That is why you have states that are geographically huge, but have far less electoral votes than states that are geographically much smaller, but because they have major cities or major metropolitan areas generally, they have more people, which gets them more congressional seats, which also translates into their number of electoral votes. One day we'll talk more about that. It'll probably come up a lot tonight, but I won't get that deep. The next, uh, number five, prosecutors in courts. There are some states that uh, elect their judges. Uh, Virginia, our judges are appointed. So that makes who goes into our state legislature very important because obviously they're the ones who appoint the judges. So that, so of course you're getting into that state legislature piece as well. Um, So four and five, depending on where you live, um, can be a hybrid, but in states unlike mine, where uh, both prosecutors and judges are elected, those are very important issues because that impacts the uh, a lot of these issues that we are dealing with right now, especially when we talk about criminal justice reform, uh, uh, policing, how people are prosecuted, who is prosecuted, how they are sentenced, who is sentencing them. So so you're getting, I hope, hopefully you're getting the, the drift there. 
Next, economics. Some of the states, so they call it populist economics, several states are going to consider initiatives that um, are intended to deal with uh, economic, in uh, economic inequality. So, for instance, uh, the $15 minimum wage issue is on the ballot in several places. One of them is Florida. Um, higher taxes in certain places like Arizona, if you live in the more in affluent areas, um, an increase in property taxes on businesses in California. Again, you got it. This is what we say to people all the time. When you go to vote or when you don't vote, because yes, people get all caught up in what's going on on the national level. That's all game. Individuals in your state want you to get caught up in all the drama on the national election so it'll turn you off, you don't vote, and things in your own state get right by you. And those are the things that affect you every day. Number seven, abortion in Colorado. Voters are uh, voting to ban, uh, whether to ban abortions after 22 weeks of gestational age. I'm pro-choice, but I don't have an issue with that. Many They said many red states already have those laws. Um, they said Colorado would be the most liberal state to adopt it. I don't think that it, most reasonable people disagree on that. So while Colorado is considered the most, quote, liberal, unquote, state to adopt that, I don't think that things like that are as much of an issue as some Republicans would have you to believe. Most reasonable individuals certainly don't feel like people in their third trimester or what have you, um, and certainly people like myself who are pro-choice, most reasonable people don't believe that anyway. It is often a red herring so that if you don't vote for it, then suddenly that means you're a baby killer, blah, 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 blah. No, it, absolutely not. Most of the time, the reason why individuals do not vote or um, for these initiatives in their states is because it is a slippery slope and there is always other things attached to it. Many doctors wouldn't even perform the procedure if you were in a state where it was legal anyway. So it's really stuff like this is, is one of those things that is put out there just to draw your attention to it, to distract you from all of the other slippery slope issues that are underneath it that are the gateway to eliminating in a woman's right to choose entirely. Uh, statehood for Puerto Rico and statehood for uh, Washington, D.C. These are non-binding initiatives, but they are on the ballot. Um, there are some justice Democrats uh, who are um, promoting individuals to go into the House. So there's five House candidates that fall under this. Um, there is Kara Eastman, who's running in a swing district in Nebraska. And some so there's some folks... Um, that fall under that Alexandria Ocasio-Ortiz and Bernie Sanders umbrella who are running now again. These are in um, our more niche issues as we get to this point in, in it. But it's just nice to know that these things are going on. Uber and Lyft in California 
It's a huge issue um, because there are companies that are backing an initiative that would continue to pay them as independent contractors rather than um, some labor unions who individuals who want them to um, be able to form unions as if they would like because it, they say that otherwise it prevents them from uh, getting a uh, from earning a living wage. Now this is another slippery slope issue because if this initiative doesn't pass in California, it does open that door on the flip side um, for those drivers and then of course it'll uh, spread the rest of the way across the country. We also have individuals who, uh, we also have ranked choice voting. Now, this is something a little new-ish on the ballots in Alaska and Massachusetts and, um, and a handful of cities, and it allows them to adopt ranked choice voting, uh, which Maine currently has, which makes it easier for to vote for a third party without undermining a major party candidate. I'm not really sure how I feel about that because quite frankly, I don't know how that would happen. I mean, you only get one vote. So I'm going to assume that that must be at the primary stages because once you get to this point, you vote for one person. So yeah. Next, drug policy. Arizona, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota would consider versions of marijuana legalization. Several of them, New Jersey, I know for sure, being a native and most of my family being there already have um, legal medicinal marijuana. So apparently everybody's got anxiety because I swear as soon as I drive into the state, it just Sells, smells like weed wholesale. I talked about this um, in one of my prior episodes. And uh, Washington, D.C. will vote on whether to ease restrictions on mushrooms. Uh, okay. So that is some of the pre-gaming that's going on. And then I'll just give a quick word about something that I that was coming up last night. And thank you to Van Jones, who gave a great analysis on the issue I'm going to touch on briefly. Um, as it relates to places like Texas, Arizona, and Florida, these are places where uh, there's been litigation being mounted. Now, of course, I mentioned earlier, Pennsylvania, there's litigation there. Pennsylvania um, is being considered a battleground state. Uh, Pennsylvania has gone blue many times, but again, it is a big state. It's got a lot of electoral votes and it does, contrary to people believing like Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, no, it does have um, in Harrisburg, it does have a lot of rural areas, which opens up the door for people with more conservative beliefs, which again opens up the door for possible red infiltration in the state. So it is important, but most, uh, but this discussion in particular are about states where this really shouldn't be an issue. The Sun Belt states, Texas, Arizona, Florida, and there was a discussion last night about why is there all of this litigation and all of these things going on in these states, these Sunbelt states, where it shouldn't be an issue. Well, Van Jones gave a great explanation that I 
absolutely agree with. He said that this is an issue where it shouldn't be because a reckoning is coming. Republicans are concerned about the reckoning. And what do we mean by that? We mean if like, especially in Texas, issues that have come up as it relates particularly to African-Americans, certainly the same thing in Florida, which made them a hotbed of issues as it relates to Black Lives Matter and the lack of police reform. Other issues, we'll talk about Florida in particular, a lot of individuals, very angry individuals, and as we know, individuals in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, have the right to vote in our election. They are not a state, but they do vote. And a lot of those individuals, because of what happened in Puerto Rico, came, what was that, fall of 2017, did come to Florida and individuals there and, and other individuals in the Hispanic community as a whole have been organizing. African-Americans have been organizing issues with uh, Corona and their governor, which is going to affect the way that individuals feel about Republicans. So that puts Florida in play, which means that any legal maneuvering to try to deal with um, knocking those votes out, Florida. Texas, same thing. You've, they've got issues there with um, how uh, with Native Americans and how they feel that they have been treated. In addition to issues with African Americans, Black Lives Matter, police, police reform, all of these things. So, and and of course, there are concerns as it relates to poverty and and the like. Arizona, some of the same issues as well some very, very rich people, some very, very poor people. So some of the same things going on in Arizona. So why are these Sunbelt states in play? Because just like the Democrats are happy about this, who know about the reckoning and are happy about it, the Republicans know about a potential reckoning and are unhappy about it. And what do we mean by reckoning? Well, let's go old school and say there may be a chickens come home to, to roost problem there. There may be a situation where states that you thought were in your pocket, much like what happened with Michigan and Hillary Clinton in 2016, well, there are concerns that that could happen here, especially when you look at the fact that there are certain areas where making it easier for individuals to vote has certainly contributed to an uptick in those in individuals voting, especially individuals who were um, encouraged to vote early. Now we know because we're not stupid here on Let's Be Honest that not every single person who voted early, I know some personally, were automatically Democrats just because they voted early. We know that. But we also know that Democrats were the ones who were pushing it the hardest. Vote early, get everybody else you know to vote early. Even the messaging from the actual candidates was just vote early, get everybody to vote early. The message you got from Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, vote early, get everybody to vote early but not telling them to um, 
well, if you're not voting for me, don't vote, just vote early. And, and you know, we got the message. Whereas from the other side, uh, the message is there's all kinds of voter fraud on there. Nobody should be voting early because we're going to try and get those votes not to count. And as recently as two days ago, whether he said it in jest or not, we know that his people don't seem to know when he's joking and when he isn't, a la the drink bleach comment, where President Trump will say things like, well, tell everybody to vote unless, well, if they're not voting for me, they can stay home. And again, because he has been the main one talking about this alleged massive voter, voter fraud, if I lose, then we know the election was stolen type thing, then individuals who were hardcore Trumpies, and you're going to hear me call them that, so just suck it up. Um, it, the, if they followed his lead, then they may not have voted early, in which case it'll be interesting to see these numbers, not to mention the fights with getting every vote counted. So why wouldn't you want every vote counted? Well, that'll be a discussion that is certainly going to be a part of the evening. And I suspect in the days of litigation to come, unless the winner is just so unbelievably, insanely obvious, because if this race is even within a couple of million votes, forget about, I would say even within 5 million votes, given the massive number of, the massive amount of pre-voting, um, unless it does, you know, the, the uh, what do you call it? The electoral college be damned. If this race is within 5 million votes, I won't go as high as 10 because to me, that's insanity. But, uh, I, well, we know who we're dealing with. Bottom line is if this race is not an absolute pounding of the incumbent, and this is not me saying this should happen. I'm purely talking about it from the litigation standpoint. If this is not an absolute trouncing, Given the unbelievable, unprecedented amount of pre-voting, that we're this is going to be a situation where there is certainly the distinct possibility where the current president may not concede, and there will be weeks of litigation about what votes are being counted, what votes aren't, allegations of fraud, and all kinds of things because those pre-election voting numbers are so astronomical and President Trump and his supporters uh, or his advisors, et cetera, were so incredibly against it, which really puts a lot at play. Because typically you go, okay, well, if it's a couple of million, you leave it alone, not with who we're dealing with here. And I'm not being alarmist, uh, it, uh, quite frankly, whether you agree with me or not, I am purely going with the narrative that has already been set up and set up continuously. So pre-game show over because I am going to start writing the results. I look absolutely forward to getting on 
with you. I will probably be doing it, um, like I said, a little bit remotely so that I can watch the big TV downstairs. And um, let's do this. So I won't say goodnight. I will simply say talk to you in a bit. Election, election day, part one, the pregame, meet me on the moon. I'm out. Do not forget to follow me on all platforms tonight in particular, especially Twitter at Let's Be Honest JJ. And you will see that. Um, and of course, it, you'll see that in the comments. And of course, you can follow me on all major platforms. If you are on Apple, despite that you the fact that you may be listening to this on Podbean, please pop over there, give it a listen over there and leave me five stars because it's all about us hanging out. This is still the nonstop November party. So the nonstop November party is continuing for election day. Later. <laughs>